This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. Thank you, Pastor Dustin. How's everybody doing today? Are we ready to dive in? Well, let's get going. I would like you to turn with me to the Old Testament book, the prophetic book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number six. And for you that are possibly new to our church, we do have our sermon notes available on our church app. And you can download that at Calvary FTW. So if you have an Apple device or Google device, you name it, you can download it. Calvary FTW. So you can follow along with me. In, in your sermon notes, I'm going to be showing you the scripture in the NIV. But reading publicly today, I've chosen to read it from our King James rendering of scripture uh, of Jeremiah 6, verse 16. So congratulations to Hagen and Nathan on their baptisms. Those are two awesome young men with great families. And we just celebrate them. Last Sunday, our... Bishop, which is, he's my pastor, he, he preached just a fantastic message last week, and today I start a four-part teaching series, it starts right now, and it's called Winning, everybody say the word winning, and uh, we're going to be looking at a few different topics that we as a, a church, and I as a pastor, have a dream and a desire for us as friends and in our community to win at, and the first portion is today winning at family. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on the idea of a family unit, like a mom, a dad, and a daughter, and a son. I want you to get hung up on relationship. That's kind of what we're looking at, but if it applies to a mom and dad with, with children, that's great, or if it's a couple that's in relationship, if it's a, if it's a widow, if it's a retired couple with their children already out of the house. It doesn't matter. I want you to view it through the lens that applies to you. So here we go, everybody. Winning at family. And we're looking in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter number six, verse 16. Reading from King James uh, version of scripture. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways. Stand in the ways. Now, I'm going to pause there, mention in other translations, it's at the crossroads. Stand at your point of decision where you find that you're at a, do I go left or do I go right? Do I go forward or or do I retreat backward? Stand in the ways, stand in the crossroads and ask this question. Where, where are the old paths? One translation says the ancient paths. Where are the old paths? Ask where that's at. Ask where the good way is. The old path is the good way. The ancient way is the good way. And here comes our last point of instruction. Once you have been, if once it's revealed to you what the old path is, walk therein. So, When you're at a point of having to make a crucial decision, ask, where's the old path, the proven path, the path that has been sustained over time, the path that has passed the test of time? 
Ask where that's at because it's a good one. It's proven successful. And then walk in that path. Now, what's interesting is the last portion of this scripture. Because now that the path has been established, which way is good? It's the old proven way. And now that we've been given instructions to walk in it, can you, can you see right here in scripture, there's a response that's very common to our today's culture. The response is, but they said, we will not walk therein. In other ways, to saying it, here's the quick summary. Here's the old way that's proven it works. It's not broken. And it will bring rest for your soul. It will bring rest to your mind, your emotions, and your feelings will be stable. This old path is a healthy path. But yet there were some that said, but we will not walk that path. So let's get started today with winning with family. And I want to start off with a comparison from the marketplace. And this church is a a pretty intelligent church full of working professionals that hold an elaborate amount of graduate degrees and, and educated people. And a lot of you that are working professionals, you're going to understand this language. In organizational development... We all know that there's three primary focuses to bring together a win. It's the process, it's the performance, and then there's the results. And this is splashed over now into, in the secular workplace, in the marketplace, teams are huge. Teams have been developed. We find that we are better together Whenever we're, we're in, in the marketplace. As a matter of fact, they think, they meaning the secular world, feels like that's something new of the last 20 years. Actually, it was rooted in the Bible. Two are better than one. Their, their work is more beneficial. It's more efficient. So it, it's, an, it's an, actually a God rule that there's, there's better synergy. Uh, there's better efficiency given in, in, in a job whenever there's multiple hands involved. But now in the marketplace, there's teams that break out. There's process-driven teams. There's performance-focused teams. And then, of course, kind of an upper management mindset would be looking at the trends and studying the metrics of results. But whenever you've got all three of these working together, you have a win. Everyone say a win. So let's jump now into our spiritual lives. If we're going to win at this idea of relationships, then we need to to know what processes need to be in place. We need to get an idea of, of how our performance is at said processes from the Word of God. And we need to look and see if there's fruit. If we're producing the fruit, the results of working the plan of God. And I want to be real quick to tell you that when it comes to your family and when it comes to your relationship, when it comes to your marriage, your parenting, if there's siblings in the room, when it comes to your interaction as a family unit, you might have a plan for that, but the enemy also has a plan for that. I said it this way earlier. It was not in my notes. I believe it was kind of a moment of revelation. Every single one of us in this room God has a target on our heart that he's wanting to hit, but the enemy has a target on your back that he's wanting to hit too. 
And as a local church, where we come into play is what we're trying to do is we're trying to populate heaven and we're trying to bankrupt hell. That's what the church exists for. And we understand that even Christ speaking to Peter, he said that this is my church. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then we find him giving instructions to the disciples, but still go forth and continue to build and equip the church. So here we are today. We're kind of having an equipping day for our families from the word of God. And I'm just simply the mouthpiece to, to, to kind of reveal the plan of God for a healthy family. And John 10 and 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said that he came to give you abundant life. So life or death is found at the crossroads of making the decisions such as our family decisions. Everybody okay so far? In the New Testament, there are many letters written primarily from two-thirds of the New Testament, primarily from a gentleman named Paul. Paul would write to cities, to churches. So a lot of your epistles which are letters, they're named after certain locations. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number one. This was written to the people group in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter one. And out of, out of all of the locations that Paul helped to plant and to nurture ministries, churches, Corinth, really looks a lot like our modern America. Believe it or not, even in biblical context of time, Corinth looks a lot like today's America that you and I are living in, mainly for these three reasons. Corinth was very prosperous financially. Corinth was highly educated. But then unfortunately, similar to America, our current American status. Corinth was also morally corrupt. So if you'll be honest with me, think about our modern America. We have one of the strongest economies in our history. We're the envy of the world economic-wise. We're very bright, but yet we're very dark in our morals. And I found myself in the previous service kind of making a connection visually teaching this bright, dark, cerebrally sharp as a razor, but morally corroded in the, in the secret places of the heart. Can I get an amen today? I, I understand that this, this way of revealing the honest truth about where we are, I, I, I know it gets a little painful to accept the fact that our country, we are swimming, swimming in a lot, of, a, a lot of water of excellence, but we're swimming against the current when it comes to our, our, our commitment to God. So I think that Paul said something to Corinth that we could apply to us. And this is how it goes. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
And let me give you a little commentary. To the guy that gets his paycheck on Friday at 5 o'clock and he's got huge plans. He's going to blow every dollar on Friday night and Saturday. He's not even going to remember his weekend. Well, to that kind of mindset, the cross is silly. Who in the world would not want to go out and party and throw life down the drain and still have to go to church? That's silly. It doesn't make sense. So to the one that is consumed, to the one that's consumed with the party lifestyle, I mean, from an extreme, I'm going to waste my life away. I'm going to spend my money away. I'm going to waste my time. I'm going to, I'm going to get myself in situations that I never should have gotten into. To that mindset, the message of the cross is foolishness. Okay? But then there's been some throughout history, and there's some in this service today, that you've had a wake-up moment. You've had an aha light bulb moment and you've come out of that mindset of the world and you've given your life to Christ. So it's not foolish to you. The Bible says, but to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's kind of referencing Isaiah 29. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Now I'm going to use this term a lot today. So everybody get comfortable with it. Progressive thinking. Progressive thinking. Like get with the times thinking. Like, stop being such a stick-in-the-mud, old-school, antiquated, out-of-touch person. Get with the program, progressive thinking. God will, in the end, prove that progressive thinking was actually and is actually foolishness when compared to the word of the Lord. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Let me kind of summarize that and help you understand what that means. On man's best day, he can't keep up with God. And on God's worst day, which he does not have, cannot keep up uh, with, with man's best day. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? God is, God is, ready? God is. Because the Bible tells us that there at the burning bush, we had a, an inquiry proposed to the, to the presence of God. Who are you? I am. I know, but who are you? I am. I is who? <laughs> I am. God His thoughts and ways are higher than yours. And in the end, we're going to see in eternity that the best of the most progressive thinking never scratched the surface on the proven ways of God. This is a common theme throughout Scripture, by the way. It's not just isolated to the church in Corinth. I'm going to read you a uh, a real aggressive portion of Scripture. 
And some of you had no idea that this was even in the Bible. And I don't say that belittling you. It's just because in our modern day culture, in our progressive thinking society, you would assume that there's never been such written in the word of God. You're going to hear some scripture in a moment that you're going to think, that's actually scripture. I always thought it was just a sermon. I always thought it was just a a preacher giving an opinion. I never really knew it was God's opinion. I thought it was just a, I just thought that some pastor one day was just kind of sharing his feelings. But it's actually God's feelings and God's ideas that are contrary to progressive thinking. It's Romans chapter 1. If you would like to turn there. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to begin with verse 22. And I'm going to read it verbatim all throughout verse 32. And again, just, just kind of a heads up notice. You're probably going to hear some things that are going to make you go, whoa. I never saw that coming on my Sunday. Well, here you go. Claiming to be wise. Does anybody have that one uncle that claims to be the smartest guy in the room? Don't nudge your, your uncle next to you. But we all have that one friend that claims to be the smartest in the room. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols. Made to look like mere people. And birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, I'm going to spend some time here, okay? I need everybody to be in the moment with me. Be present right now. You're going to miss some enlightening things from the scripture. Remember, instead of worshiping God, they chose to worship idols. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. You need to get this right now, especially all of you like me that have kids. My kids are as progressive and as sharp as razor blades. And even at 13 and 8, they ask me questions about God that sometimes make me go, I'm going to have to get back with you on that one. Because they'll say, why would God or why did God? How come God? You got to understand, this is, this is one of the best things you'll ever hear when it comes to those big questions that seem to stump all of us. God never, ever, 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 everybody say ever. He never, ever will leave your side. But if you're determined to do it your way, he most certainly will take his hand off of you and allow you to do so. I liken it to this example. If I'm sitting at our kitchen counter and I've got my 13-year-old and we're working on a school project and here I come into the conversation thinking, hey, we're going to partner on this together. I'm going to show her how to work through this and and we're going to create this awesome school project. It's going to be great. I get me a cup of coffee and, you know, I get a number two pencil because I'm weird. She gets her pen because I think she's sloppy with that. And we're going to get down and here we go. We're going to work on this project. And she at 13, is just like you and I at 13 she says no I don't need your help well that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to go get in my vehicle and move to Mexico it just means I'm going to sip my coffee and I'm going to turn the TV on and I'm going to say well go get them fine if you don't need my help do your thing and the next thing you know 
what are you doing? I'm trying to cover this up. Well, why'd you use the pen? Shut up, Dad. I'm fine. And well, fine, fine, figure that out. And, and she keeps, she, she's 13. And as sharp as she is, she's 13. And the same thing would be with me at almost 45. If there was a 65, I would say to the 65, I don't need your help. I've got this. And the 65-year-old would take his Slim Fast <laughs> and his bowl of Raisin Bran and go, fine, do your thing. And I would make a mess of it, right? God never leaves your side, but he flat will allow you. He'll allow you to make your own call. So when the Bible says that he abandoned them, he didn't give up on them. He didn't check out on them. He actually just gave them what they asked for, and that was control to make their own decisions. So here we go. God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Here's your second learning point of that scripture. If God has not abandoned me, and I'm just going to use this as a visual, if God's hand is still on my life, he's going to order my steps. Why? Because the Bible says the steps of a righteous man. A righteous man is simply one that finds his correct lifestyle under God. It's not that I'm better. It's just because I've given, my, I've given control over to God for my life. So Jesus has made me right with God whenever I fully give him lordship. So his hand now is on my life. And well, guess what he's going to do? He's going to order my steps and I'm going to be led by the spirit. But as soon as I say, I don't need you, I don't need you. He's going to take his hand off my life. Now I'm left to live by my own desires. Everybody following me? Because I'm, I'm, I just want to do it my way. And, and, and I like you. And I'm glad you like me. But I'm good. Well, now we're living out of our own desires. And as a result... A result of what? A result that I've got to do it my way. They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Verse 25. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And, and it's not that they, hey, you got to get this, everybody. It, it, it just happens because once you take, this is a better example. Once you take truth once you step out from the covering of truth, this, this is truth, by the way. Once you step out of the covering of truth, now you're exposing yourself to all kind of lies. And it's not that you're dumb. It's not that you're incompetent. It's not that you're, that, that, that you're not sharp. It's just simply that you're not covered. I mean, you could be the greatest warrior ever. But if you go onto the battlefield without your protection, you, you don't have ninja skills that good. I don't know. That's not ninja, but that was, that was 45-year-old chunky preacher idea of a ninja. <laughs> but you don't have that kind of ninja skills. You've you got to be covered by truth. So we're working through this. So they ended up doing what? Now, they're living out of their own desires. So they ended up worshiping. There's another truth in this. It doesn't matter if it's God or not. You'll always worship something. You were created to worship. You're going to worship. 
You're going to worship golf. You're going to worship hunting. You're going to worship Amazon Prime. You're going to worship. Somebody just said, preach, preacher, preach. I knew he'd get on it one day. Listen to him, honey. Listen to him. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. You ready for this one? We might think instantly, oh, that, you're talking about those environmentalists, how they worship trees and they, and they worship the sun. Actually, we're creation. There's a lot of people worshiping humanity. Verse 26. Do you see how we're, how we're, how we're going downhill in this? That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, well, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, they, they burned with lust for each other. And men did shameful things with other men. And as a result, as a, as a result of, of this sin, now again, how do we get there? We, we, it, it wasn't that we woke up one morning and just went looking for that. We we said we've got this, and, and we've said that we're going to do it our way. And this is what happens when humanity just says, I don't, I don't need direction from God. I just want to do it my way. Well, the Bible says that there is, you will suffer within themselves the penalty that, that they deserved. And it, that's, by the way, by the way, everybody listen to me. This is helpful to some of you. That's not the point of judgment from God, by the way. The point of judgment from God is in eternity. When it says the penalty that they deserved, that's simply the penalty of their choices in life. So in other words, if, if, if um, you know, just a silly, silly, silly reference, if, if, if I'm determined to eat the entire pie, the strawberry pie, and no one will ever know that I eat the whole pie, I'm going to suffer the consequences of that. <clears throat> And I know that's a really shallow example, but the point being, they, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they brought upon themselves. Verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them for their foolish thinking and let them do things they should never, that should never have been done. Now, verses 29 through 32, I want you to highlight because this is the most important portion of this scripture. Before you think that what we just read was the most important, you can't, you can't get sidetracked on, on just hot current events. You got to look at this, verse 29. And guess what? Now that they're doing life their own way, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, every kind of sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior. Their lives became a part of gossip. They're backstabbers. They're haters of God. Insolent. I looked. At, I, I didn't know what that word meant, so I had to do a quick search on it. That means an arrogant disrespect for authority. This is what happens when you come out from under the truth. You just, just everything God intended for humanity, the old path that brings life. When when people are just determined not to go there, they go another path. This is what this is the this is what happens. 
They become arrogant and disrespectful to authority, proud, boastful. And they even invent new ways of sinning. Isn't that, a, isn't that an interesting statement? And they disobey parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. And verse 32 might be the most sad scripture of the reading today. And they know that God's justice requires that those who do these things, they deserve to die. Not, not, not them, but any time that there's sin, there's got to be a penalty of death. Does everybody understand this? Sin brings forth death. Something must die when there's sin. If you want the gospel in the nutshell, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb that has come to take away the sin of the world, his death made all sin and all sinners in right standing with God. If, if, if you'll place your saving faith in that kind of gift of grace. But this is what happens. They know that God's justice requires that those things deserve to die. But yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. So what we have in progressive thinking just give me a few minutes, okay? What we have in progressive thinking is this mindset. I, 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 I'm not going to go the way that God recommends I go. I'm going to do it my way, Father. I don't, I, don't need dad's, I don't need dad in my business. And once I choose my own path, the, this is the bump in the road. I, I, I have the potholes of greed, of, of envy, the potholes of, 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 of great sin and dark places. I've got all of this stuff that I'm, I'm having to travel over and it leaves the results in my life of death. Uh, and the enemy is tr so true. Um, whenever I do it another way, but God's way, there's going to be things die. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to lose marriages. I'm going to lose my relationship with my children. I'm going to lose my sanity. I'm going to lose my virginity. I'm going to lose my sobriety. I'm going to lose my clarity of thinking. I promise you, God's way brings life. Other paths bring death. In America, we're standing in a crossroads. Calvary Church, we're standing in a crossroads. And if we're going to win in the particular subject matter of a family, then we better know, we better know what God's idea of a family is rather than the world's idea of a family because we need to tweak our process. We need to tweak our performance where our results can be tweaked. Somebody say amen. amen. So, so, how did we get to this place? What happened? If there was an old path, then that means there's a new path. Who carved out the new path? <laughs> Who changed the recipe of the family? Humanity. How'd we get there? Here's the first thing that we did wrong. We traded, our, we traded God's wisdom for our own wisdom. We thought, we'll just settle with our wisdom versus the wisdom of God. Here's your reference. Romans 12 and verse 2 out of the message says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. I've got an eight-year-old 
that started singing a song the other day. I have no idea what the song is. I couldn't even tell you right now what it is. But her 13-year-old sister went, how do you know that? And she said, what do you mean? Everybody knows that. And I'm like, I don't know that. I've never heard it. And the 13-year-old goes, Dad, she shouldn't be singing that. And I'm like, well, how do you know it? (laughs) Sometimes I think we fit into culture without ever even thinking about it. It just happens. You know, I I grew up, and and, and it's not like I'm some 92-year-old dude that, that grew up without a neighbor. I grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a normal house just like you did, but I grew up in a day and time that, that, you know, we didn't really have to really pay attention to locking the door at night. But in that, in that, how dumb would it be to wake up at 2 a.m. and a dude in your house? Yeah. It's like, well, how'd that happen? <laughs> how'd that happen? You didn't lock your door. Yeah. That's how it happened. Don't take a rocket scientist know how it happened. Well, guess what? Here we are as families and, and somebody's walked in. It's 2 a.m. in our house, in our home, in our family life. How did it happen? It happened because we traded God's wisdom for our wisdom. We didn't lock the door. We got a little bit lazy over time. We started thinking, you know what? This old path, I'm tired of seeing the same things. And I think there's a, let, let's carve out a new way. And little did we know that the new way actually never got back to getting us where we intended to go into a healthy, winning family environment, the new path, you know, the next generation took it further, the next generation took it further, the next generation took it further, and then out of nowhere, they're starting to put McDonald's on the exit, Chick-fil-A on the exit, then there's, then I mean, good night, now there's pizza on every exit, why not? Why not just stay on this path? It seems to be working. No, it's not. The new progressive thinking for the family unit's not working. Suicide's higher than it's ever been. This church, is, this church has felt the sting of it multiple times. Divorce is higher than it's ever been in the church. Abuse in the church. So it's not just the world's ways. Now progressive thinking has overflapped. It's, it's overlapped, rather. It's splashed like if we have a cup and we're pouring it, it just spills over. Now progressive things, progressive thinking's over into the church because of why? Because all of us love. We love. You were, you were created with a, with a faith to love people. And you and I both, we want to love anyone and everyone. It's in us to love. It's in us to love. Why? How do I know that? Because God is love. And you were created by God. You were not created to hate You were not created to judge. You were not created to be mean. You were created to love. But at the same time, you were created with a moral compass of truth. And one's got to to partner with the other. A moral compass must partner with love, and love must partner with a moral compass. And the word of the Lord is, you're at a crossroads, and you need to know what path to choose. If you'll choose the old path, the good way, it'll bring rest for your soul. You guys okay if we stay till five? No, you're not. Bunch of lying dogs. Y'all are like, I'm in it to win it, baby. Shoot, three more minutes from now, you're like, all right, wrap it up. How do we get here? Well, here's the second thing. We followed 
our feelings instead of following our faith. You can't afford to follow your feelings. You know, I told someone at breakfast this week, I said, if there was a $100 bill on that ground, I would feel, I would feel like, I, I would feel like that needs to be mine. And I would feel like I could spend it well. And matter of fact, I feel like I'll even tithe on it. And the dude said, but it's not yours. I said, but the steps of a righteous man are ordered. I believe God directed me to that $100 bill. <laughs> but then we established the fact, but it's not mine. Even though I feel something, you know, I feel like the speed limit on 35 should be 100. Can I get an amen? <laughs> My mom's like, I don't feel that way. No, no, no. Doesn't matter what you feel, everybody. You don't understand, Pastor. I do too, because I feel like cheating on my wife. And I feel like preaching something different today. And I feel like getting angry with my kids. And I feel like running off and leaving everybody sometimes. And I feel like punching some of you in the face. And I'm not laughing. I feel a lot of things. Your feelings may be different than my feelings. But I can't live by my feelings. Because my feelings are off the map. Some days, man, I'm the coolest cat on the earth. I feel great. Other days, you're like, I don't think, not only is he a preacher, I don't think he's saved. <laughs> but if I woke up every day determined to live by my feelings, my whole world would be a wreck. I mean, Denora and I'd be fist fighting every day. My kids would have a permanent limp. But there's got to be something stronger than my feelings. What is it? It's my faith. Because at the end of the day, when all hell breaks loose, and whenever, when, when nothing makes sense, I can't, I can't, I can't let my feelings be my home button. I can't let my feelings be my default setting. I can't let my feelings be my reset. That's what got me into the problem anyway. I've got to have something greater than my feelings. I've got to have a faith. A faith in what? Not in me and not in you because you're dumber than me. Everybody say amen. amen. Really, I'm glad you feel that way. You're like, I ain't saying amen to that one. Yeah, I'm, I, I proved to you I'm smarter. I saw that one coming. I need something smarter than me. I need something stronger than me. I need something, you ready for this one? I need something more proven than me. Because I, what I have proven is that I can't be trusted. But this can. Third thing. <clears throat> We've trusted ourselves more than we've trusted God. So what we've done is we've, we've, we've jacked up the standard. Y'all watch this real quick, and I'm going to try to be fast. If this sets the standard, we don't, we don't like that standard. I, I can't live up to that. I, I 
want to gamble my money, and I want to drink the alcohol, and I want to cuss, and I want to fist fight, and I want to sleep around, and, and, and I want to do all these crazy things my, my, my desires want to do, and my feelings tell me it's okay because, I mean, man, I, God wouldn't let me feel something if it wasn't right, would he? And so, so we got this standard, but we don't like the standard, so what do we do? We lower the standard to fit us. It's kind of like this. This is a funny example. And, and it's kind of, there's, I'm like in therapy with you right now. It's kind of like ongoing therapy. Because is there anybody else that you had to really work hard to make C's? I had to cheat to make C's. And I am a firm believer that there should have been a C on a roll. And, and absolutely. And, and I should have had my name in the paper under C on a roll. This whole idea of just A on a roll and B on a roll, I just don't think it's fair because they have a higher capacity of learning than I have. See what I'm saying? See how I'm working that? It's, it's one thing for them to max out their high capacity at 100, but God didn't make me that way. My max out capacity is about an 82. Shouldn't I get a blue ribbon for maxing out at 82? Shouldn't I get a trophy for hitting an 82? So... So my idea is, why don't we just lower the standard and make the C the new A? Come on, somebody. Some of y'all actually think I'm being like, like I'm really preaching this. And y'all are like, I don't know about that. I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> my point is, my point is, that's what we've done to the word of God. I can't live to that. So I can't, you know, I haven't cheated on my wife so that's going to be the new standard. No, but you've lusted in your mind and in your heart. So, so we've blown that rule of thumb out of the water. So what are we going to do? Are we going to lower the standard? Or are we going to hold up our hands and choose the old proven path and lean on God and allow him to pull us up to his? Are you with me so far? Now, officially on the clock, I'm out of time. But being that I'm the senior pastor of this church, the clock's lying. I need about five minutes and I'll pray over you, okay? Now that we know how we've gotten to where we are, I want to show you some things that are good remedies. Here's the first one. If you're going to win at being a family, marriage, parenting, kids with siblings, siblings and kids upward to parents, if we're going to win at being a family, then we need to, number one, we need to hurry home. Progressive thinking is clock out at five o'clock, dad goes one way, mom goes the other way, drop this kid off there, drop that kid off there, put that one in volleyball, put that one in tennis, dad, you go to the gym, mom, you go take a nap, and we'll all circle back maybe Saturday. And the next thing you know, there's no such thing as a family unit. We're just all living in the same house, eating out of the same cereal. Yeah. Hurry home. So we're all going to go to the gym or we're all going to go to the soccer game. We're all going to watch the movie. We're all going to try to eat together. Do you get it perfect every night? No, but man, why not lift the standard up a little bit? Right. Yeah. Number two, cultivate communication. Work harder at being understood and work harder at understanding. You know, statistics say, don't get mad at me for this, but statistics say that men have about 15,000 words a day. Women have about 30,000 words a day. 
And most men spend all their 15000 by noon. And most women save their 30000 until about 7 p.m. when the man's home. <laughs> so men, let me give you the best four words that, listen, some of y'all wanted to hear the gospel. This is close to the gospel. Men, here's your best four words. And then what happened? You'll burn through them 30,000 quicker. Okay. <laughs> Cultivate communication. Everybody say, that's good preaching. It's not in the Bible, but it's good. <clears throat> Here's another one for you. Nourish love for family. Make family matter again. We're going to do dinner at five. Well, I'm not. I'm going to Johnny's. All right, see you at nine. No, you're not going to Johnny's. You're going to sit down and eat dinner with us. Nurture family again. Make family matter again. The old path still works, everybody. Blood should be thicker than water. Make family count. If your boy's playing ball, you ought to be the obnoxious dad that cheers the loudest. Let me have an amen on that right there. That's what I'm talking about. You don't need to be off somewhere else. Be at that ball game with that boy. He don't need other dads cheering for him. You need to be the cheerleader. Boy, I've brought a stick to church today, didn't I? Here's another one. Celebrate differences. Don't let the differences in your family irritate you. Celebrate it. This is good for all of our blended families. If divorce has visited your life and you've been able to find love again, don't, don't let the differences in your families irritate you. Celebrate the differences. This is good for parents. If you've got one really, really smart kid and one really, really athletic kid, don't let that irritate you. The good news is your athlete's going to have a built-in employer one day. It's like, a, it's like a dream family, you know? Well, son, don't worry about it. Your sister hire you. <laughs> it's a win. Celebrate the, celebrate the differences. Let me give you two more. I'll pray over you. It's hilarious. <laughs> Let me give you two more and I'll pray over you. Here's the big one. What you started, finish together. I dream of Calvary Church having more healthy marriages than divorces. And again, I do not. And there are divorced families in this service. You know I do not beat people up for divorce. I never will be the kind of preacher that beats people up for choices. But I will tell you there's a better choice. Nobody wins in divorce. And every divorce starts out with a little gentle softball pitch and it turns into hardball. And there's casualties on every side of the field. Well, what do you think we ought to do? I think we need to live by commitments. Yeah, but you don't understand. I, I, I do. I do understand because I'm married. Yeah, but you're a preacher. Yeah, <laughs> you ought to try that marriage. <laughs> it's, ooh, ooh. What is commitment? Commitment is being upset. Commitment is being lacking trust. Commitment is holding things against you until things can turn. Not allowing the anger 
to be the divisive matter that breaks you. Well, I'm bitter. I can live with that. Just stay in it long enough to get over the bitterness. But I don't trust him. I get it. I don't think I trust him. After hearing that, I don't know if I trust him either. But let's just try to hang in there long enough until trust can be rebuilt. What about family feuds? We got families in America. I mean, you're, you're, you're from the same blood, man. And you can't even have a cup of coffee together. Why? Progressive thinking. Boy, you burn me once, you're not going to get to burn me twice. I wonder what Christ thinks about how many times we've burned him. Hey, everybody, I'm just trying to call us to a better standard, a higher standard, commitment, sticking it out. Everybody say these two words with me. Say, love wins. And my final thought for you before I pray over you is trust God. Don't trust the things of the world. Choices of politicians, choices of educators, choices of employers. People will let you down. People will break your heart. People will lead you astray. But if you'll trust God, he's not willing that anyone would perish. You're in good, safe hands. When you're in the hand of God, he'll lead you home. Jesus looked at his followers in John 14. And he said, I go. I go to prepare a place for you. And where I go, you shall go also. I want to go where Jesus is. I want to be there in heaven. Well, let me tell you something. There's other paths, but not to heaven. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's only him and by him and through him that you can have your name written in eternal book. Stand with me today. I know I went very long, by far the most abusive of the schedule I've been in at least seven days. <laughs> but I'll do better next week. I thank you for your patience with me. And this is what I know. This is the kind of message that it's unfortunate that it's this way. What's unfortunate is these kind of messages, people, they, they link the message to the preacher. They hardly ever want to link it to the content. And I can tell you, I've got a heart for everybody. But I also have a heart for you to be saved. And these are the kind of messages that I, I laughingly said this in the 10 o'clock service. I said, why didn't God make me a keyboardist that can just come up and do my thing and then leave? But he didn't. For some weird reason, he took a little boy from South Louisiana and said, I just think that I need you to open up your mouth and speak on my behalf. So know this. I love all people. But I love all people enough to share with them what the word of the Lord says. And the word of the Lord says, choose an old path that's proven. Because it'll give you rest in your soul. Your mind won't be tossing and turning. Your mind won't be full of clutter. 
your mind won't be full of questions. If you'll choose the old path, you'll sleep well. You'll rest well. But what about my thoughts and my feelings? We all have those struggles. They're just in different ways. We all must submit our ways to His because His are higher than ours. I want you to bow your head. In this third and final service today, I give this invitation to everyone in the room. This is not the normal invitation just for the one or the three or the five. This is the invitation that if you have ears and you're able to hear me today, this invitation is for you. If you're just settled the issue that you want to do things God's way, would you just lift your hand today? If you just know that you want to do things God's way, you just want to do it His way. That's all I'm asking. You just know that you want to do it God's way. This prayer is for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a few minutes with my friends. And I thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for your word today. Now, I understand, God, that sometimes these type of messages bring, bring a sense and a feeling of question and wonder to us. But I think that's healthy. It's called a conversation. So right now, Heavenly Father, I ask you to soothe us if there's any, if there's any irritation by the word in the 8.30 service, the 10 o'clock service, or even this one. I just pray, Lord, that your grace would soothe it, heal it. May it be a balm, like a medicine. May your spirit mend and heal us. Now, Lord, with every hand that's lifted up declaring we want to do it your way, then, Heavenly Father, this prayer is for them. Give us the strength to rely on your grace. Give us the faith to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Give us the commitment to not always know how it's going to play out, but we're committed to see it through it through completion. I pray this blessing over every father, mother, student, every grandparent, every sibling, every single, every single person in this room. I bless them in Jesus' name. And let everybody close with a big amen. Let's clap our hands to Jesus one more time today. Amen. Amen. I love you so much. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. God bless you.